0: We went in his car with his family to this very violent fighting tournament. It looked like people were getting genuinely knocked out, but he came on at the beginning and um, they were play. They played Prodigy's Firestarter when Chuck Norris came out, and it was just the most surreal thing. I was like, "What is going on here?" But he was—he was very nice. He was very kind of um, the anti-Sagal, really, where he's not really mythologizing himself. He's been quite humble.
2: This is Writers on Film the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Everybody and welcome to Writers on Film. My name is John Bliesdell. I'm a writer and film critic and today I'm going to be talking to Nick De Semlin. He is the author of Wild and Crazy Guys and his latest book is The Last Action Heroes which is a history, a take on the 1980s phenomenon of the action movie superstar such as Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone among a cast of many others. Nick is the editor of of Empire Magazine and he has written for uh, publications such as Rolling Stone and Time Out. The conversation is brilliant and features much Stephen Seagal chat as you are about to learn. If you enjoy the episode, please remember to like, to subscribe if you don't already. Leaving a review is very useful. If you have a podcast yourself and you want me to come on and talk about films, I'm more than happy to. Uh, I'd love to spread the love around a little bit. Also, our sister podcast Cinema Italia is restarting or has already restarted so please go over and give that a listen it's an English language podcast celebrating a love of Italian cinema from Uh, Cabiria to uh, the present day. So Cabiria to Sorrentino if you like. There's also a podcast called Connery which is a little bit different but if you want to hunt it out it's available on all podcast platforms. It's read by Kai Ross and written by me and it is a speculative novel about a young man who takes Sean Connery a little bit too seriously and is entirely to every detail autobiographical. There's not a single detail there that isn't based on something that has happened to me in my life. If you listen to the uh, first few episodes, you will understand how frightening that might be. But before you do any of that, please enjoy the conversation. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a Steven Seagal film except executive decision and i went to see that because kurt russell was in it and i was in a little bit of a kurt russell renaissance
0: yeah which is probably the the least steven seagal steven Segal film because well a he dies and b he's like play second fiddle to someone which he hated doing and um yeah he claims that he got paid a million dollars a day i don't know how true that is there's no verifying anything he says but he claimed he got paid a million dollars a day to, to do that for a week or however long he was on it. But um, he didn't want to get thrown out of the plane. But um, yeah, like I said in my book, there were some people who had worked with him who were cheering uh, when they went to the film and saw that happening.
2: Who <laughs> Was it Robert, uh, someone, Harry Cohen, the famed Hollywood producer who was loathed um, died and they had his funeral and the church was packed and some wit turned around and said, "Give the people what they want and they will come."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that just about sums it up with Mr. Segal as well. But I got to admit, like I haven't, I'm not a Steven Segal completist. I haven't. Um, he kind of makes films faster than any human can can watch them. Um, there was a clip going around of something he made recently on Twitter. And I don't know if you saw the X over Christmas of uh, Steven Segal's sex scene, but he's wearing a leather jacket and he doesn't take it off. Oh In fact, he doesn't take any of his clothes off, and it's mercifully. Mercifully, but yeah, his work ethic—it probably that—that speaks volumes about <laughs> that's how much energy he puts into films.
2: What was the name of the
0: film? Frottage. <laughs> <laughs> it might well have been I don't want to go back and look
2: <laughs> uh, I, I mean I, I was really curious about Seagal What uh, Reading the book And, and I mean he's, he's a hilarious character For many many reasons Did you ever meet him by the way Did you ever have an interview with him Or even pro- approach him I mean I'd be kind of scared
0: I thought best not to approach him for the book because um, I don't think he doesn't do a lot of press these days and he lives in Russia. And I just thought it's opening a Pandora's box. I did do an hour interview on the phone with him for empire, which is kind of where I drew a lot of the material that I used firsthand from him in the book. Um, i got my time zones wrong in classic fashion. And so I got a, I hadn't really done my, finished my research and I got a call from Stephen Seagal while I was sitting in the office. And I remember like frantically scrambling to, IMDb to to pull up his list of film titles and then realized it doesn't help because every film title is the same. They're all three words. They've all got the word kill in it. And so, um, yeah, I was kind of muddling through, but it was, it was a, it was a very surreal conversation at one point. Um, uh, he was kind of shit-talking Van Damme, and he was claiming he could do every stunt that any human could do, all that kind of stuff you expect from him. And then at one point, he started uh, kind of rhapsodizing about the horror film The Hills Have Eyes, but not the original, the remake that no one else And he said he was really into that, but he didn't like the lighting. And I did that note about him not liking the lighting of The Hills Have Eyes remake. That's stuck in my brain.
2: Oh, my word. I mean, some of, these, some of these guys have this strange... Yeah, I, I saw. Uh, I was at a press conference with Russell Crowe uh, this summer, and he started um, halfway through the press conference. He started organizing where they should place the speakers in the future. <laughs> uh, uh, sort of like, you know what, guys, you should have the spit. And, and it wasn't as if, like, what a complete a hole. But at the same time, what a complete a hole. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's going to stop him, I guess. Uh, that's that's. That's a, that's an off piece to, uh, to do in a press conference. But then I, so I had my Stephen Seagal experience, um, and an hour is quite a long time to spend in, you know, in the mind of exploring the psyche of Steven Seagal. So that was quite a treat. And then, um, I was given tickets to go see him perform at, at Camden at the Roundhouse with his band Thunderbox. And I went along cause you kind of have to, and he was there in a purple muumuu, um, essentially a large purple dress, um, singing wild thing. And it was very peculiar, the whole the whole thing. But yeah, that was my Steven Seagal experience.
2: But who, who was there? I mean, who would go and see Steven Seagal in a muumuu Moo Moo voluntarily? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, apart from you. I mean,
0: <laughs> it might have just been him and his large entourage filling the entire building. I don't know. But you know, there were people. I think there was a lot of ironic uh, undertones to the attending people. But there was a lot of screaming. And it was, uh, it was pretty fantastic. It was quite a memorable night.
2: I mean, did you ever get to the... And I promise we are going to talk about other people.
0: (laughs) But but I was just so fascinated by this. Let's just talk about Steven Seagal's musical career.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we do the same thing with Bruce Willis last uh,
0: (laughs) episode? Yeah, yeah, we did, actually. There's there's a
2: theme developing here. And we can can repeat (laughs) the Bruce Willis conversation as well, obviously. Um, No, the one thing I was really curious about was, obviously, there is a large amount of... To be kind, self-anggrandizing, mythologizing that goes on with him, talking about his missions in the CIA and stuff. But mm-hmm. it, is there a has anybody actually ever just done a straightforward biography and just said, "Look, this guy, you know, this is what this guy actually did. He he was in Japan at this point, but he didn't do that, and he did do this. He did." Has anybody sifted through the bullshit, so to speak?
0: I think it's very difficult to, honestly, at this point, there is so much bullshit that it's like trying to, you know, scoop up the Atlantic uh, with, you know, an egg cup. And it's, there's too much of it. And there's too many lies. And, you know, I went back to all the articles when he was breaking through, he had a very dramatic breakthrough. Unlike anyone else in this book, he was like, it was like his first film that turned him into an A-list movie star. And he didn't have to do, you know, what Schwarzenegger and Stallone did, all those years in the mines of doing bit parts and working up to, Warner Brothers just put him in a film. And so there were lots of uh, profiles of him, um, you know, at that time at the end of the eighties. And who is this guy? And there were this is LA Times piece. Everyone is trying to sift through it, but even then, no one is able to get to the facts. And so, I mean, I kind of enjoyed that about writing about him as you're writing about someone who is like a movie character. He's like a, you know, he's like a ridiculous B movie character, but he's real somehow. Um, so that was like, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Every time he came back into the story, it kind of it kind of gave the book a bit of an energy boost, but no, I mean, I tried to sift through some of the, the mythology and, you know, one of the most famous stories about him is that the legend of him getting into a fight with, uh, this stunt guy, on the set of one of his early films. And uh you know the rumour goes that he was choked out and he shattered himself yeah. and woke up. Polish uh, underwear him- Yeah, Polish under Polish underwear. And uh, you know, apparently, you know, as one version of the story goes, he passed out and then woke up and then got choked out again. And so he's very angry about this being repeated. Like quite recently he's he's gone on a rant about hating, you know, that you know being furious about it. So I tried to get to the bottom of it, and I spoke to two people who were kind of there. And one of them said it happened, and one of them said it didn't happen. So it's it's uh, it's anyone's guess. But I kind of like the Rashomonness of everything involving Steven Seagal.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess you you live by the bullshit, you die by the bullshit. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think, that's, I think that's the tagline for Hard to kill.
2: <laughs> okay, so let's go let's go back to the back to the beginning, if you like. Of of I mean, this this it so complements your earlier book in the sense that you're looking, it's like a biography of a genre and a sort of a historical moment in film. And you're looking at a, a time period and a genre, which is kind of neglected as well. You know, 80s comedy it hasn't had the the amount of attention that you gave it uh, in your first mm. book. And likewise with the action movies, the last action movie, uh, the at- last action stars, is that the correct title?
0: Last action heroes.
2: Last action heroes. Sorry, of course, from the yeah, from yeah. the film. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this is a this. These are films which are largely sort of disregarded or snubbed or, or whatever. It's not. You're not necessarily arguing, critic. you should really, you know, uh, these films need reappraising in any way, but the stories behind the people uh, mm. are just fascinating and, and none more fascinating, I think, Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is the kind of where it all begins, right?
0: Yeah, Schwarzenegger and, and Stallone were the two kind of the early ones and then the others all kind of jumped in in their wake and probably wouldn't have happened had it not been for those two. Um, I mean, Schwarzenegger is, is, is unbelievable. I think there's a, I mentioned in the book, there was one point in like the early nineties where he started talking about himself in the third person, (laughs) because even he had kind of, um, you know, lost track of who he was. He was like more than a human. And I think that's what kind of appealed to me about these, these, these guys writing about them. And you're right. Like their filmographies, it's not like, we're not talking about Orson Welles here. There's a lot of absolute, um, you know, dredge, you know, drag. And uh, I had to wade through all of it, so I was, I was being quite, um, you know, assiduous in like following, like watching everything they'd done as much as I could. And there was a lot of terrible stuff, but there was something about their personalities and the cult and the way people treated them and how famous they got, like how famous Arnold got. I don't think there's anyone, not even Tom Cruise, was quite at that level where you can't believe this is a real human being and um you know his his uh car parking space in hollywood at his agency was like a giant slab of terrazzo marble where people would leave roses and it was just wild They're like everything involving him and then he he just um got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he thought this guy cannot get any bigger and then he he did and that's kind of why it was fun to write about him in counterpoint to stallone because arnold does not fail until the very end of the book whereas stallone is failing all the time. And he's this tortured artist, whereas Arnold has none of that. He doesn't read books. He's just he's just there to make money and did it really well. But it's a really interesting dynamic between those two because they're kind of both big muscle men, but also polar opposites in a weird way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the first film that he that Arnold sort of hits people, breaks through, is, is the documentary Pumping Iron. Mm. And I only really watched this recently, and I was absolutely sort of shocked by how amazing he is in that. How mm. I, I mean, it's not a f- well. There are bits of it that are a little bit fictional. Uh, to be to be fair, it's not a. Uh, the, there's a few editing tricks and a few scenes which are a little bit set up, but um, his personality comes through as this uber confident, uber. Monge, you know, a guy who's just, you know, I mean, he's taking the world by storm.
0: Yeah, and the one-liners are there in Pumping Iron, like before I'll Be Back and, you know, anything from Conan it was like pumping is like coming. I love to come <laughs> the milk is for babies. You got to drink beer and like all of these one-liners just coming out of him. And then you've got him just, you know, smoking weed and and spiking out people as well, which you get like all the way through his career with the You know, he, he has this really mischievous side to him, this big, like burly guy, but he's like this little impish guy at the same time. He's like playing tricks on his enemies. <laughs> and you see that in pumping iron where he's just, like um you know striking striking people out it's
2: lou Faringo, the incredible hulk actor is his sort of like the up-and-coming young guy and yeah and he comes down to breakfast with him and his mum and dad and he's like oh you know and he's he's joking with them even though it's just like i'll beat you tomorrow don't you worry about <laughs> it
0: <laughs> yeah he's just messing with everyone and you know there are stories from all through his career from predator with like he would loosen the the bolts on the bottom of someone's trailer so when they'd go in their trailer the whole thing would like fall <laughs> over uh to like messing with like I can't remember who it was but there was like some some big guy that he was working with he would mess with their um he would get the costume lady to like the tighten thing. the thing so or loosen it, so they would feel like they're losing muscle. And he, I don't know, there was some way he was tricking them into thinking that they were losing muscle definition. <laughs> it's like quite, quite uh, like nefarious mischief, bits of mischief he was doing. But yeah, like right away, you're right, like pumping iron is the start of all that for sure.
2: Um, and then when he g- goes into movies, there's always this sort of like, how do we get around the fact that he has this very broad German accent, and how do we, you know, he, he's obviously verbally not very. Um, he's not going to be great, even though in Pumping Iron, he's verbally fantastic. He's got, he's got his comedy. He's got his his comedy in Pumping Iron is he's funnier in that than he is in Twins, I would argue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think (laughs) it's a funnier film. Um, it's just kind of insane. And um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Conan, the Barbarian and then Terminator were his two breakthrough roles, but they're not funny. Although kind of Terminator is when you watch it, but it's like he is not being funny. He's being very, very deadpan, but it gets big laughs when he does some things, not everything. So I guess there's a bit of that personality shining through, but yeah, he's kind of effortlessly funny in a way, again. With Sly, who's desperately, who was really funny in real life, actually, and Mm. and one of the joys of writing this book was reading every interview Sly did or watching every interview he did for like a few decades, and um, he is such such a funny guy, so clever, and and um, uh, has a great turn of phrase. But yeah, whenever whenever Sly tried to do a comedy, it flopped. Whereas Arnold's, there was something about it, just made people laugh. And I think it was because he just, he's not trying. It's so obvious he's not trying. He's just, you know, it's like effortless.
2: I was talking to a friend of mine who was with Sylvester Stallone walking across a back lot in America in 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 Hollywood. And he was telling me, you know, Sly's really clever guy. He's got, it's really intellectual. He's got a lot of stuff, you know, and you can have, a, and he's, he was explaining to me, he was having this conversation with me and he was explaining, you know, Paul Clee or something that was in his head. And, you know, some, Guys from the prop department walked by and went, "Hey, Sly!" and he was like, "Oh, you're the one, guys!" And it's just like, it's "Like, you, you, you don't need to, you know." You have to. He flips into this sort of persona that that he can't. It's almost like, "No, I can't just be myself in front of other people."
0: Yeah. There's that weird inner conflict. Cause he hated it. Like when Rocky came out and was huge, everyone started calling hey, Rocky. Everyone would say that to him and he got really angry about it. He hated it. And to the point where he would stop speaking to people if they did it to him, but then he would go back and make endless Rocky films and he would get a statue of himself as Rocky, you know, at a swimming pool which he just Instagrammed the other day. And so, you know, it's like he has this real love hate relationship with certain things that he, that change over the years and keep, he'll hate it and then he'll go back to it. So his image definitely fluctuates and I think he's someone who was never entirely comfortable with his image and his persona never quite knew. in you know the opposite way arnold I think was like always arnold and there's a real through line and consistency
2: I mean that's partly I think uh, there's a sense that sly wants to be a, you know a hyphenate he wants to be a writer director star and he's always got that ambition you know linked to the 1970s filmmaker's mm-hmm. that he's coming from you know he makes films like Demolition Alley and what's the uh, um Fist.
0: Paradise Alley Paradise yeah. Alley
2: sorry in Fist
0: yeah.
2: which I've actually seen which is like a <laughs> it's kind of hoffer isn't it it's a, a sort of hoffer
0: uh it's kind of Hoffery yeah he's not bad in it actually it's um it's definitely better than Capone which is <laughs> one of the worst one of the worst of his early films but Fist has got some you know Norman Jewison directing and it's got some good stuff in it he was not such a fan of Stallone afterwards because he, again, like one recurring through line is that he tries to take over every film that he's involved in and edits it himself. And uh, he wasn't allowed to, he's very angry at the takes that were used of him. So he doesn't like it, but it, it's got some good stuff in it. And it's definitely an unusual Stallone movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, it stands next to you know Danny DeVito's Hoffa, for instance, which was uh, with Jack Nicholson, which was from a David Mamet pl- screenplay. And mm. but my, I, I guess what I was sort of thinking was, when he makes Rocky and then later on First Blood, he makes them as kind of, you know, sounds a bit of a, a snobbish thing to say, but like real movies that uh, is genuinely his ambition. And then he kind of turns them into franchises himself. You know, he he. He has these real characters and then he turns them into cartoonish versions of themselves.
0: Yeah, literally in the case of Rambo who became we've got his own cartoon series. Although I <laughs> didn't do I didn't do the voice sadly. Unlike, you know, the Jackie Chan adventures. Uh, there were lots of lots of these guys got cartoons uh, made of them. Chuck Norris as well. It's so weirdly
2: weird. inappropriate. So, so inappropriate people,
0: yes. it's so inappropriate like what child should be watching a Chuck Norris cartoon but um yeah you're right I mean I you know over the summer I got to uh kind of host a screening of uh first blood part two the second Rambo film mm. and I watched the first one and, and that one kind of back to back to kind of prep for it and it is just whiplash it's like 180 degrees it couldn't be more different and the first one feels like a 70s movie like you said it feels like a real authentic movie it's got great dialogue it's got really interesting character although tarantino's not a fan um i can't remember who he said he would have cast instead of stallone but yeah he did he, he's not a fan of the first rambo film which is interesting but um i think it's widely accepted other than that that it's a it's a far superior film to the second one which is just pure cartoon
2: tarantino's been wrong about things I mean, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: he's been known it's, to have wild opinions yeah
2: and i mean his book cinema speculation, which I enjoyed reading. It was it was a, a riot, but you can tell he's not got an editor. He's you can tell there's no yeah. there's nobody pushing back and saying, you want to just check a few things here? and because you know, <laughs> Are you sure, Are you, sure you want to do that? Yeah, 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 or just, you know, like consistency and stuff like that
0: and not repeating yeah. yourself. Uh, it's it's a, a, he's had a chapter on Paradise Alley, actually, funnily enough, which is mm. a very underwritten about. So I kind of appreciated that he did a chapter. I wasn't entirely clear why he loves that film to the march. It's not one I love, but um, it was uh, kind of a key early one. And yeah, Tarantino does a whole chapter on it what was interesting
2: so we've got stallone and schwarzenegger going head to head and you sort of you know you you put, their rivalry is goes all the way through the book really it starts very early on and, go, and then then heads off and then you get like chuck norris and later Van Damme. But I mean, Chuck Norris is coming out of. I mean, that that's what's interesting. There are certain characters here that are sort of in the background, but very influential. So, like Bruce Lee is a ghost mm. that haunts the banquet, so to speak. Mm. And I was kind of wondering, what if, what if Bruce Lee hadn't died? You know, do you think mm. he would have had an American career that would have, you know, continued and got bigger and bigger?
0: I think so. I mean, it, it kind of alluded. Jackie Chan, who, you know, I Chronic Chronicle, that's his kind of arc in the book is him trying to break into Hollywood. And he was unsuccessful for quite a long time. I think Bruce Lee would have, um, I think there was such a cult around him and those early films were so strong and so beloved and they were already, you know, he had a big LA premiere for Enter the Dragon, which, um, you know, he died sadly just before but i, I do think it would have trend, it would have been a very different landscape and i think to an extent quite a few of these guys were jumping into that void that you know when bruce lee died there was that big gap left and people were looking to fill it and i mean that's literally how you know jackie chan was in one of those kind of knockoff movies there were lots of knockoff movies you know something the dragon this, the dragon that so i think that definitely probably you know played a part in jackie chan's ascent yeah i think i I think he would have gone to america i don't know what he would have i don't know what he would have made i don't know who which directors he would have worked with there's an argument that you know he made these perfect films and then you know passed away and and so it's kind of captured in amber him at his absolute height and Mm. would he have come to america and and they wouldn't really have known what to do with him that's possible but yeah he is like you said he's he's this kind of specter hanging over things because he was so so huge at that time in the kind of you know 60s 70s
2: and Chuck Norris is sort of coming, you know, part of his kudos that he gets is that he he's he worked with uh, Bruce Lee. And so he and he has his own martial arts schools and he's but but he yeah. also takes a while to sort of actually come into any sort of prominence
0: yeah well he 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 couldn't act which i (laughs) mean you could argue that like i I think he was quite open about it as well
2: dancing around that (laughs) no i mean
0: he kind of he kind of admits it i think you know and you know his uh his best friend bob wall who was very good value that i talked to was the same he said he didn't think he had a chance of making it but um he was kind of a joke he kind of remained a joke to be honest to a lot of people but Mm interesting that, that when he started, he was credible in a way that, you know, he could really kill you with any limb, unlike Bruce Willis or, you know, a few of these guys, Chuck Norris was actually lethal. He was a black belt. He was really, really like formidable. Bruce Lee really respected him. So he started out from a point of actually being very credible. And then I think the movies he made was so kind of trashy it's fun. Like I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I actually, when it came time to put on a Chuck Norris, you know, Canon film, it's, they're quite fun. They're they're so ridiculous. They're not good films, but there's something quite charming about him. I think his screen persona, it's just, um, he's so wooden and (laughs) and kind of likable, but yeah, he, 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 um, you know, he was in a film, he fought, he fought Bruce Lee on screen and, um, that gave him a big boost, but yeah, there was a big, there were all these other things going on. There's a big karate boom happening. Uh, around the world but especially mm. in America people were getting really into karate and that was like being shoehorned into everything and so it was like the right right place at the right time and he just kind of mm. magically became this this pretty sizable star without any of his films really like making huge amounts of money but he was quite reliable he did well enough that and then obviously has become this kind of cult folk hero of you know internet memes and everything and um
2: Chuck Norris uh you know it's he, he runs so so much until the the running machine gets tired you, know, and that, <laughs> <laughs> you have a whole a whole list of these which is uh which is amazing that I mean he's become yeah he's become a joke without being the butt end of the joke he's actually he seems to win all the jokes.
0: Yeah. He's um yeah. And he's kind of rolls with it. He's a very, you know, I had a surreal experience flying to Austin, Texas and spending like a weekend with him. Mm. There were like a couple of us marshals with him and it wasn't clear whether they were guarding him or whether he was guarding them. <laughs> um <laughs> But he, um yeah, and it was surreal. I kind of interviewed him. It's the only time I've ever been asked to pray before an interview. That's never happened before or since, but he said, let's pray. Let's pray. Then we did a, a career interview and then we went in his car with his family to this, very violent fighting tournament. It looked like people were getting genuinely knocked out, but he came on at the beginning and um they were play they played Prodigy's Firestarter when Chuck Norris came out and it was just the most surreal thing. I was like, what is going on here? But he was he was very nice. He was very kind of um the anti sagal really, where he's not really mythologizing himself. He's been quite humble.
2: That I mean that that it comes across time and time again in the book where you know there's a, a story that you tell which I think is amazing of him going into a bar and sitting down and somebody coming in and sort of saying that's my stool asshole get out and it, the bar's empty so there's no you know and he just goes oh okay <laughs> and lets <him> have it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah and then yeah he's very much the ned flanders of of this group of like action stars <laughs> but but yeah then the guy realizes who he is and comes over and he's like and then uh, yeah and then i think the story ends with chuck norris inviting him to have a drink with them and it's just you know it's like whatever the opposite of a bar fight <laughs> it's, it's like he's tidying yeah. up the bar
2: yeah. Um, <laughs> he's he's going and mopping up after everybody's finished, <laughs> putting, putting the chairs on the table. Is that okay? We always leave the place tidier than when you find it. It's <laughs> <laughs> that Always rule.
0: take a dustpan and brush in. Yeah, that's the Chuck Norris way. Um,
2: invasion USA and sort of tidy up yeah. the bar USA. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. it's
0: interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting because all of these guys have this image of you know being these unstoppable killing machines. But it's interesting seeing which ones kind of, uh, kind of almost start believing that image themselves. I think Steven Seagal, everything about him trying to play out that that image in real life. Whereas other ones can like leave it at the door and just you know or disarm people, not With not that... literally, but just you know, the other kind of disarm
2: there's a bit where he uh steven seagal tells one of his directors or oh, he was uh, he was doing a mission at the weekend <laughs> 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 just like, just like you'd say, oh, you know, I had a hard night. I went to a couple of parties at the weekend. He's like, oh, I'd, I was in South America doing a mission at the weekend.
0: Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start doing that in uh, in issue meetings. But yeah, he would, he, you know, I, one of the screenwriters I, I spoke to was like, yeah, he would, they would, he would come into the room because he would be taking over the script and as he, in his words, turning it into something really special. Um, and they would say, you know, it's uncomfortable probably the atmosphere in the room. So they'd be like, Stephen, what have you been up to at the weekend? Yeah. And he'd be, he'd say, I can't tell you it's classified wet works and, uh, and he'd have a loaded gun with him. And it's just like, what do you, what do you do?
2: Oh my amazing. God. amazing. Uh, it's just so, Well, I mean, it's no wonder he's, he's living in Russia. He's, he's, <laughs> probably, he's probably, he's I hope he's living on
0: inside an, Inside an abandoned uranium plant, I imagine. Uh, uh, just,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's. It, it, uh, no, sorry. I, I'll, I'm going to go back to Stephen Seagal land, and I don't want to go there anymore. Let's <laughs> not
0: go there. Not go there. My fault.
2: Um, let's let's talk about another character who I think um, in some ways is sort of like another of those sort of Chuck, Chuck Norris sort of characters, where he's not really as tough as his screen persona. Uh, suggests, which is jean Claude Van Damme, which who is kind of mm. again you, you use that phrase disarming. He's sort of so funny and and honest mm. and straightforward, mm. and he's um I mean when he talks about having a mini affair with Kylie Minogue, he's also very mm. very 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 funny. Um, mm. I'm assuming he's there's a-, a there's a double <laughs> meaning there.
0: Yeah, he said that to me actually when I when I interviewed him again for Empire Light, we did this hour. It was the same month actually. I did uh, I did an hour with and an hour with Sagal, an hour with Van Damme, and then I did the Chuck Norris thing in short succession. So that was quite a quite a beefy kind of month. Uh, um but yeah, I, I I like an hour with Van Damme is just delightful but confusing. You need to have a lie down afterwards. Um because but yeah, the Kali the Kali the the Minogue thing, he just casually said, and I didn't realise that that was like a big news thing, but it kind of blew up. Uh, into like a big thing online and nothing Carly even made a statement but um he just casually he's so honest like he will say anything that's on his mind um there is literally no diplomacy uh there's something I love a detail I love is that he was criticizing blood sport while he was promoting blood sport he was saying <laughs> oh yeah you say we could have made a much better film for that money and you know the lighting's not good at all this. but he um yeah there's there's something uh and you're right like it, what is his kind of lethal skill? It's really just doing the splits and that's doing high like kicks in the real world. That's probably not how you would kind of handle yourself in a fight. That probably I, wouldn't work out that well I, for you. If you're doing the splits in a car park, probably like...
2: having <laughs> sexy buns, that's his other yeah. superpower.
0: <laughs> it, well, yeah, he does the splits. Then he sort of bears his bottom and wiggles. Uh, but you know, he's, um, it, it, there was, he was just so sort of charming and different to anyone else. So I think you know I I am a big fan of his um of his kind of early Hollywood films Hard Target and uh, Time Cop I mean Time Cop what a title yeah uh, Southern Death where he's in an ice rink it's Die Hard in an ice rink and I just, everything about what he does is just a bit naff like there's nothing <laughs> cool like you know Die Hard is just cool but then you sort of take it twenty degrees and it's him with a mullet doing the splits. In an ice rig, and or whatever, you know, I've amalgamated some of his films, but um, there's a certain sort of naffness to him, but it's quite delightful. And yeah. uh, I've it's, got it's, quite a lot of time for
2: him. It's like Die Hard, but in an Ikea.
1: <laughs> Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab grown diamond bands, all hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: Yeah the ball pit scene. <laughs> <laughs> In the yeah. Weatherspoons. spoons. Um it could happen. I would pay for, I would pay to see the Weatherspoons blow up. Uh, uh, that, that would be, be good. Um the giant jenga scene. <laughs> I I am stopping I'm stopping now because I've I've already wasted way too many good ideas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Write them down.
2: <laughs> I'm writing them down right as we speak. Um yeah, Van Damme. So we get Van Damme and we get his sort of i mean at this point you are sort of getting people who are making reasonably successful movies they're, they're bringing in a profit and everything and uh but and they're definitely feeding an appetite but they are sort of um the second league of the of the big boys and the the last one i wanted to mention is, is, that you feature in the book oh no there's two more we we need to talk about but but the last one is this of this uh Ilk, is Dolph Lundgren, who, um, mm. you know, bursts into fame, uh, you know, as Rocky IV's, uh nemesis, Ivan Drago. Um, what was he like to interview? Because this guy can speak like five languages. He's like an astrophysicist and he's, he's just got so much going for him.
0: Very, very smart guy. Yeah. I mean, he was on course to be like a chemical engineer. I think and he's a kind of Mensa genius, um, uh, IQ level. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times. So he's just completely delightful, completely normal. I got to say out of, out of this group, probably like the, the most well-adjusted in terms of you can just have a normal conversation. <laughs> like, you can't really have that with any of the others, but that's fine. That's kind of not what you want. But, um, Dolph is, uh, yeah, and very kind of uh, philosophical. And I I kind of wanted to include him in the book because he wanted to show a whole ecosystem of Mm. of people and and it doesn't always work. Like, you know, he had, he became instantly famous from, uh, from doing Rocky four. Like, you know, he goes into the premiere and he's not famous and he comes out and he is famous and his whole life changed, but then it just didn't work out. Like he couldn't hang on to it until kind of, quite recently with the expendables. He came back, but he was doing direct DVD stuff quite for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, he's, he's very, very pleasant. And, um, you know, I'd love the story about him and Van Dam, uh, faking a fight in can for universal soldier. And <laughs> of course it was Van Dam's idea. And of course he like, they, they pretended they were in a feud, but then Van Dam went on a talk show like a day later and just told the whole world that it was fake. Um, cause he couldn't help himself. But, um, yeah i mean again like not i don't think Dolph was very lucky with his films i think a lot of them are are pretty bad um but a likable guy and we weird to think of him as kind of the underdog of the group because he's Mm. like you know seven foot tall like giant brick house you know blonde very handsome you know and he's got it all but it's interesting why you know van damme was bigger than than him for instance van Mm. damme's a bit smaller shorter You know doesn't have the bulk so why does one become an action hero and one does but then falters it's kind of interesting
2: well that brings us on to sort of a a figure who seems to be a transitional figure which is um bruce willis who who Mm. is not the huge um you know you you say right at the get-go he doesn't want to do die hard he's he's a comedy actor he's more he's known for his smirks rather than his biceps he's not going to spend much time in the gym bulking up uh and and people you know people think it's not going to work you know the studio don't think it's going to work uh the audience snicker at the uh the uh at the trailer uh, and yet, his success is kind of like the the beginning of the end for for the mm. big muscle, the muscles from Brussels and the muscles from everywhere else.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you know, it's um, it was when things started to change, and you know, at a certain point, it had to because they were getting bigger and bigger. The explosions were getting bigger. The, the kill counts were getting bigger. So as you go through the eighties, it's just you're going from commando to Rambo two, to, you know, it's like at a certain point it has to scale down a bit. And I think people are getting tired of just the bigness of these, these spectacles and it gets numbing. By the time you get to Rambo three, it's just exhausting. You know, it's just him going around, just murdering like a thousand Russian soldiers. And, um, yeah, people wanted something different. And then when Die Hard came along in 88, it was, it was small, it was confined. It had a guy who was, you know, could actually go through an event rather than just getting stuck in it. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine Arnold doing that scene. They would have needed a team of people like greasing him up to get him out of there. But, um, yeah, it was just, I, everything about him was different, which is why it succeeded, but also why it was considered risky and why people were yeah, Fox were terrified of it and, you know, we taking his face off the poster. Um, But yeah, he's a really interesting one, Bruce Willis because I just don't think he ever wanted to do it. I didn't think he was reluctant to do die hard two. He didn't really want to do the first one. He just took it for the money. He was very open about that. And um, you can kind of see with what he does after die hard that he doesn't want to get stuck in that rut of just doing, which is what kind of makes it really tragic. um, You know, looking at his list filmography from the last 15 years that he did ultimately get stuck in doing these, these pretty poor quality, action movies and really got trapped trapped in there and i don't think that was where his heart was ever
2: yeah i was sort of thinking i mean he does a vietnam uh drama which is sort of going back to a sort of john voight-esque you know real uh, you know the sort of film you would expect to be made by in the in the early 80s really um But then he he also does like Alan Rudolph films. He does a version of Breakfast of Champions, and he does uh, mm. you know Twelve Monkeys is a is a real step out. And then mm. you know, yeah, I mean, I it it's not like he's, I don't I don't feel that there's a Bruce Willis persona as such in terms of those action films to quite the same extent. Or is that you know I mean Last Man mm. Standing isn't. John McClane in the 1930s it's just it's a different character yeah. it's a different you know
0: yeah it, I, I don't know i guess if there's it, his action persona is kind of the guy who's pissing off the bad guys and he does that really well in in obviously in die hard kind of sets that but he does it really well in last boy scout right. and i have got i've got my i didn't write about last boy scout in the book cuz it was kind of outside the the timeline but um i have a lot of time for it uh, I, I think it's a flawed film. Um, it's very, very cynical and, and kind of grim and maybe t- a little bit too much, but it's got, it's got lots of brilliance in it. And, um, it's just got a great Bruce Willis pissing people off, <laughs> uh, like so many great little moments and little scenes. I think that's the film after the original Die Hard that kind of utilized his persona the best. Um, but I guess that, I guess that would be it. You know, Arnold is just this one man army and Willis is the guy who doesn't want to be there. And Mm. he's pissed off about it. The Mm. others look like they want to be there. I guess that's the difference.
2: Yeah, the others look like they don't make sense anywhere else. It's like whenever, whenever you see them sort of... I mean, in Total Recall, I always remember seeing Arnold with a drill. And, you know, it's like it's a drill you don't need muscles (laughs) it's got a motor it's not like you you don't actually need to have those muscles to make that happen
0: that's very true that's very true but um yeah that's absolutely true what you just said and I, i i I think, you know, there's that sense in Die Hard. One of the glorious things about it is he, he doesn't want to be there. Like the characters don't want to be there, but also Bruce Willis doesn't want to really want to be there. And you can imagine him like, you know, he's slipping around, he's slipping out the building. No one can catch him. He was probably like that, you know, it's like at a planet Hollywood party. He was probably slipping out the back door and everyone was trying to catch him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was, you know, I, I don't want to speak of him in the, in the past tense. Obviously he's still alive. It's very tragic, um, yeah. you know, what's happened, but obviously he's not acting anymore, which is a real tragedy um but he um you know his film his, his his performances in quite a few action films have so much charm and charisma just like raw charisma mm. um and given it was his first action movie die hard is such a great showcase of that
2: yeah and i i would i you know argue for hudson hawk and i'd argue for a whole whole bunch of other other films i mean he also he also has that talent of of being genuinely funny during the action, uh, rather than against the action, or, or mm. you know, just quippage for the sake of quippage. I mean, I've never found like James Bond one-liners or Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the kill quip. I've never found them funny. They're just—it's they, that sort of cringe version of dad jokes. You know, that, <laughs> you know,
0: he it's had not even look- attempting attempting re-entry. Ah, <laughs>
2: uh, that's. <laughs> Well, the Pierce Brosnan... No, no, that's bad. The Pierce Brosnan, I thought Christmas only came once a year, was probably oh, uh, yeah. the best, oh. the best, the most of his... That's what I thought when Daniel Craig came along and people argue that, oh, Daniel Craig's humourless, uh, his bonds. No, they're actually funny. You know, his mm, Do mm. I Look Like a guy I Give a Damn is mm. genuinely funny, whereas... Mm you know having the Lawrence of Arabia soundtrack play while Roger Moore goes on a camel across the I'm getting <laughs> off track here I'm getting off track talking about someone who wants who, who is genuinely funny Jackie Chan this is mm. uh, this, again this is a character who is uh, an actor who is as you've already said trying to break into Hollywood but but kind of doesn't need to because he's got the rest of the world at his feet
0: yeah well the, the kind of the interesting kind of sting in the tail of him breaking to hollywood as he finally does with the rush hour films and etc rumble in the bronx but um well when he gets there he realizes that he doesn't really want to be there after all because it's not what he it's not the way he wants to work it's not how he makes films he's not allowed to do what he does best but yeah with jackie chan the comedy um is so baked into the action it's the whole persona is funny intrinsically funny and um, you know, part of that is to do with Bruce Lee. Like we were talking about Bruce Lee and that void that was left behind. But he I think very consciously was like, I'm gonna do something different to Bruce Lee, and he's very serious and solemn, and I'm gonna be the opposite. I'm gonna be the clown. And you know, he was brought up um learning acrobatics and and you know, so he had the whole kind of clowning uh skill set. Uh, but yeah, it's just a Intrinsically funny. Every Jackie Chan film is funny. They've all got mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, I watched the Police Story movies uh, on the big screen last year, back to back. And the dialogue, funny stuff, doesn't always work. Like there's stuff in the original. There's stuff in the first Police Story. where he, where he gets three cakes put thrown in his face, which is never funny. <laughs> I don't think cakes <laughs> in the face is that funny. But there's stuff, this slapstick involving his girlfriend, and you know, it, it's not that good. But it's the fighting that is just, you know, the little little gags that he'll he'll do, um, and using unusual things, and it's just brilliant slapstick. You know, it's just Harold Lloyd, Buster and It's all that, it's all that brilliant stuff.
2: Yeah, there there are certain sort of. I'm not sure if it's due to cultural differences, but sort of girls getting hurt seems to be something that uh that that there's more tolerance of and, and it's it's considered funnier than than maybe where where uh yeah where used than to.
0: than cake cake violence. Um <laughs> those two things maybe don't travel quite well, so
2: well. Well maybe you go back to Buster Keaton or or Stan Laurel and Hardy have a lot of women getting hurt and a lot of uh, cakes a lot of pies, being thrown yeah. around yeah lots of parties exactly um yeah I, I I was interested as well in how the state of action you know that we we talk we keep using this phrase action action cinema action hero um and it, and it's kind of interesting to sort of look at this in a way as as how does that develop through the through these this period that you're looking at you know um i'm thinking of like when you start having something like the matrix come in and completely reinvent what we're expecting mm. to see in a fight scene you know what we all all crouching tiger you know always coming from the east and suddenly you've yeah. got this uh you know go, going to you Royale and that that initial chase where you have um uh what's the name of the parisian sort of running jumping martial art
0: that yeah, the part the part the, the, the parkour parkour guy yeah
2: but the 80s the action feels much more it's, it's sort of, there's something stolid about it. There's something, do you, do you see any change happening during this period?
0: Well, it's, um. I think it's the one man, you see like, and I kind of start the book with Rocky, which is a very tenuous link to the one man army movies. But I kind of saw that as the start of, you know, Rocky doesn't have a gun, but he's, he's, he's kind of started that wave because then you get Rambo, then you get, all of Arnold's guys, and you get everyone who follows on. So, these one man army movies, you got a lot of them were kind of war films um, coming out of the 70s, because I think Vietnam was still hanging in people's heads. So, you know, things like the Rambo movies, obviously, but then Commando and, and and all the Chuck Norris, you know, missing in action movies were like war films, but with an action hit with one hero. And then uh, I think that started getting stale. And then Die Hard triggers this new thing, which is all about the concept and the setting and it's got to be in an interesting setting. You've got to have a great bad guy, which you really hadn't had until then in the eighties. It was, you know, you had St- Stephen Burke doing his thing in Rambo. Um, uh, and you know, you had Vernon Wells doing his thing in commando, but you didn't have, I think Gruber like made everyone sit up straight and go, we need to kind of, we need to do better. And so you get John Lithgow coming in and doing cliffhanger and you get a lot of British, and American like very respectable kind of theater actors coming in and getting killed by Van Damme or Bruce Willis or whatever. But you got, you got all those diehard knockoffs. And then I think that took you into the nineties. And then I think speed, speed came along. And I think speed was kind of part of that. It's kind of diehard on a bus, but brings in kind of takes it further in terms of who the action hero could be. And Bruce Willis is, you know, a, you know, a third of the size of Arnold, and then you scale down again with Keanu and um, and so, yeah. And then, as you said, like into the later nineties, you had a lot of, you know, um, you got the crouching tiger stuff. You got the the, the kind of Asian, Asian influenced um, kind of balletic action with wires and everything. Um, I mean, it's, in, we're in an interesting time now. I don't know what I would say the trend is because there's, you know, the John Wick films seem to be, everyone seems to be kind of trying to copy John Wick and you've got very solemn, heroes. And I'm a little bit mixed on, I don't know where you stand on the John Waite film, that I kind of think they're they're a bit self-indulgent. I, I like scenes. I think they're brilliant. You can't deny the craft of that. Like, you take one scene from a John Waite sequel and you'll be like, holy shit, that's amazing. But then personally, I watch three hours of it and there's so much mythology and there's so much dialogue and philosophy and all this stuff. And, and I kind of pine a little bit for a 90 minute Arnold movie. Where it's just very simple and straightforward, and and things done practically. I mean, it is done. Pra- the the John Wick films are pretty much done practically, but um, yeah, I don't know where you stand on that stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the first one was kind of fun and original, and, and and you know, it had a had its tongue firmly planted in its cheek. I I think as it goes on, it becomes more and more, uh, uh, as you say, it becomes laden with this self-importance, and and. I just, it's the. I think it's the problem of the of the universe. No one's making movies anymore. They're creating cinematic mm-hmm. universes, mm-hmm. and ultimately, that's like saying, you know, John Ford made westerns. He made stories. He didn't make a John Ford universe. There wasn't, you know, he even shot them all in mon. Well, shot a, a great a, a number of them in Monument Valley in the same place, but there was no sense that he was building up some mythology about it. It was just these are the stories, you know. And any mythology yeah. that was goes against the wider cultural mythology. But these. You don't sol- get a
0: post credit sting from yeah. like.
2: <laughs> Lee Marvin turns up at the end of yeah. the, ser- the, yeah. the Searchers. So, yeah, you know, oh, there's the. Yeah, little you, think, balance. yeah you,
0: think, you think you're the only gunslinger in this valley. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's I agree. Because there's just... even that John Wick uh, TV show now. So it's like getting so kind of convoluted. And you can't just go and watch like you know, a fun action movie. It's like, you've got to remember what happens in three movies and the four movies and the TV show now. And it's, it's a lot of homework you have to do.
2: I just think, I think it's like the, you know, they've decided that movies are like the pig. You know, you can use everything but the oink, you know. So (laughs) they're, they're just, they're just, they're expanding. So they get one interesting property and they say, okay, we'll do this, this, this and this and two TV shows and a movie and and a trilogy and, and a, And in the end, it's just like, yeah, but the concept itself isn't big enough for those things. It's just you've thinned it all out. And what was interesting is gone, Mm. you know. Mm. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think it would be better to work harder on coming up with new ideas and, and letting some of them fail
0: yeah i mean my one exception to this uh, what we've been talking about might be the new mad max film because if george miller wants to keep making mad max films then i'm, I'm all for it and i you know but again i don't think there was a, it was very stripped back fury road like i don't feel like i need to go back and do a primer on what happens obviously it's a prequel the new one furious but um i just think there was something uh It's simplicity, I think, that I've come to really appreciate. Because the raid, uh, the raid, and Mad Max Fury Road are probably my two favorite action films from Mm. the past ten years or whatever. Mm. And they're just very simple stories, and Mm. there's not tons of weird, uh, you know, plot machinations and exposition and this. They're just very straightforward. You can describe the plot in a couple of lines. Where
2: do you you stand on the Raid Two?
0: Well. I've only seen it the one time and i do need to revisit i've been thinking mm. of revisiting and i will mm. i do the, the issue i had with it at the time I, there was amazing action scenes and there's a car chase that is absolutely incredible i remember but i did i did it did bloat it, it sort of felt like it was trying to make it a godfather film with mm. with action and it it kind of lost the simplicity and the elegance of the first one um so i appreciated the ambition but yeah it was the first one i think for me still
2: yeah yeah i mean that that that's my you know I I I like action movies I, I love action movies they're amazing some of my favourite movies are action movies but I do have this this there seems to be this idea of getting a character or getting. Um, yeah, just getting a character and, and let's let's run with it as uh, for until it's dead, until there's there's no mm. there's nothing. And I, the other thing that I found with John Wick was the idea of making it emotional in some way, making you think you should care about these characters who just shoot hundreds and hundreds of people in the face. <laughs> you know, it's just like that's yeah. their thing. You know, um, I get a little bit, we- I find that a little bit draining. That brutality.
0: It is like, yeah, I, me too. I get quite numb to it. And mm. also that, you know, it's, he's now a cartoon character. Mm. Like He always kind of was. And I think that's what people liked about him. He's so Keanu Reeves in a bulletproof suit, you know, trying to, trying to kill the guy, everyone who hurt his dog. But um, when he fell off the roof, the, the franchise kind of lost me when he fell off the roof and plummeted and then he was fine in the next film. And that just kind of pissed me off. I was like, I want some kind of pretense of vulnerability here. Otherwise I can't hang up. you know, it's you don't think John McClain or James Bond is gonna get killed, but in a good Bond mo- good Bond movie or a good die-hard movie, you kind of think he just might. Like you're on the edge of your seat, that's kind of their job. And I think um yeah, Keanu, John Wick is so unstoppable that I don't know. I don't it's just you're just kind of admiring the stunts rather than really getting involved in the action in the story.
2: Yeah, that you—you you remind me of Kathy Bates in Misery. Uh, so you know, <laughs> talking about the Rocket Man series. You know, he didn't get out of the cockadoodle car. You know, he went off the edge of the cliff. Um,
0: I relate to her a lot. Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's what the meetings in Empire are like when you're uh, arguing mm-hmm. your point. I, I, I mean, I, I think this is an interesting place for us. I, I mean, in, actually, interesting that you mentioned the the possibility of James Bond dying um because that's another sort of action movie uh, franchise that runs all the way through uh, the 1980s and and is you know is another sort of strand of, of what action movies can do I, I've i always thought the good thing About James Bond is that he always offers A sort of schmorsborg of Different possibilities, you can have a car chase A ski chase, something in an aeroplane mm. Something hanging from a building And then a bit of a battle at the end If you want, where he calls in the marines Or, or the mm. coast guard or somebody um, Which other You know, other characters Sort of Don't seem to have that Ability to do Um, I did appreciate what happened to him at the end of No Time to Die, even though I think the movie itself wasn't that great. I thought the ending wasn't, uh, you know, was actually the best bit of it. Uh, How did you feel about that?
0: It didn't really land for me massively, as is evidenced. from the fact I just said a few minutes ago that you can't can't imagine Bond actually dying. (laughs) But he did. Um, It didn't, I, I didn't love that last one. I was a bit, you know, the, the last few, the Craig ones have been up and down for me. I, I really mm. liked Skyfall uh, probably cause it's the closest to a Roger Moore one. Um, and it's just having fun. Um, mm. I really like Casino Royale, but then I haven't got a lot of time for the other, uh, the others. Um, yeah. I, 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 for some reason it didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit me emotionally. It. And, and it, it kind of has to, you have to walk away from that feeling emotional or it kind of hasn't worked. And, <laughs> and Maybe it's a failing in me, but um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel it.
2: And I, I, it was a question that I was asking on. Um, well, no, I mean, this is, I don't want to turn it into a bondathon. Um, let me let me instead. Uh, what is the future for action movies? Do you feel going forward after the you know now now that we're at a point where it seems like superhero movies, which kind of have taken over from action movies, as where we're getting our action from. Um, are beginning to be on the wane.
0: Yeah, it's it, we're in a very strange time where superhero movies. Even a year ago, we wouldn't have been having this conversation. But mm. superhero movies, as an entity, is starting to buckle and shake, and and even Marvel, who are you know the gold standard, are kind of faltering, and their films are flopping, and they're having a hard time. Um, it's a lot of oversaturation, obviously. Um, I I think there's a real appetite for. Um, you know, going back to basics and practical, practical stuff, as far as possible. I think, um, you know, the raid and, and fury road are kind of beloved films because in different ways, they're doing stuff real. They're mm. out in the desert or they're doing real, you know, machete fights in a real tower block. Um, film, and you know, film, I think filmed uh, where
2: life is cheap.
0: It, well, <laughs> I ask. yeah. And, and, you know, Tom Cruise is, Tom Cruise is flying the flag for all that. Uh, the one man, you know, one man army that is Tom Cruise and who knows what he's doing right now shooting the new mission impossible, but apparently it's bananas. Um, So I don't know. I I think there's a real appetite for that, but I think there'll always be people will want to see something new. I don't know what that is. I haven't really got the answer, but I think, you know, like every genre, it kind of reinvents itself and there'll be a new wave of things. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, 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 Not many people like the Avatar films. I'm I'm quite a big fan of them, and I think just from an action filmmaking point of view, the stuff that Cameron's doing is really cutting edge and really kind of exciting. If you take it, you know, if you put aside the dialogue and the characters, which some people have issues with, but I don't (laughs) think, but I don't think there was, uh, I don't think there was enough appreciation for what he was doing in terms of the action stuff, which I think is really kind of amazing, and he still knows how to orchestrate a really crisp clean action scene, which however big it gets, you can still follow the action, which I think is the main problem with, well, modern action filmmaking, but you know, the expendables films, you look at them and during the action scenes, you have no idea what's going on. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think there'll be, there'll be old school stuff that people really dig. And I think there'll be, you know, stuff using technology that will be really exciting as well. Um, but I have no idea. That's my long way of saying I have no idea
2: you so you've interviewed all uh, did you interview Jackie Chan as well
0: i did i i got to go to shanghai and spend two days with jackie chan which were wow. very surreal yeah it was for uh, it was for a dvd a movie going straight to dvd and asked the question can we can i go to china and meet jackie chan and they said yes so i met him in this hotel where he was planning his new film and um had a, had a kind of strange dinner with him where he was in quite a bad mood. Um, Ooh. his film was having problems and he, he shouted at me, um, it Why? Why was he just shout four of us. I was, I was trying to make small talk and it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good small talk, but, uh, he told me to shut up and it was quite, um, it was quite intense being told to shut up by, by, you know, a man who you've seen kill a thousand people on screen. He's also, you know, got a reputation of being a nice guy, but then the next day, we probably hung out, and he drove me around Shanghai in his in his car. And he was uh, had Lionel Richie on; he was singing along. We went to uh, watch him record some music. We had dinner again. It was very bizarre. He was being chased. It was like a Hard Day's Night at one point. He was being chased down a street uh, by fans, and he and I were like running with his assistant running into this underground garage. I mean, genuinely, it was like the most surreal two days of my life. It's so weird. Um, but I wrote a big article about that. And um, he has two cuddly pandas, mm-hmm. which he bought at Hamleys. And he takes them everywhere with him. Uh, he takes he, there's photos of Keanu Reeves with them, the Obamas with them, and he let me hold these two pandas for about half an hour. I was just holding <laughs> them. Uh, I didn't know what to do with them, but I was like, don't drop them. don't drop them. Uh, he'll he'll literally kill me. They're like his sort of best friends, but they're cuddly toys. Um so yeah, I had I had the Jackie Chan experience, and then I've interviewed him a few more times. I did pints of milk with him for Empire and one of the questions was, What's your favorite animal? And he said the panda, because it's the fastest animal on earth. But I didn't challenge him on that. <laughs> it was an unusual <laughs> an unusual take. But yeah, he's fun. I mean he's he's close to Van Damme, I think, in kind of you never quite know what he's gonna say. And right. um but he's he's good fun, apart from when your small talk is not up to snuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. I met him briefly, uh uh. Two years ago, and uh, yeah, he—he he was. I was just a bit gobsmacked. Actually, I've seen, seen all those films in the eighties, and was really into him. And in the well, eighties, nineties, really. Um, yeah, yeah. For some reason, he's made these, so much. He's he made has, so much as well. Has, I mean, yeah. his, his filmography Master is
0: and... his filmography is probably like all of these other seven guys put together. Like he's made so many films, and every single one he's risking his life like eight times. <laughs> and you're yeah. just Like, how on earth are you not dead? Um, he's kind of he's he's absolutely superhuman.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason, when you were describing driving around with him, I was seeing the <clears> the, f- <throat> the early scenes in Zoolander where they drive around in that yellow jeep. I'm not sure why <laughs> that <laughs> with Wham playing in the background, Lionel Richie or Wham. It's all a... so what's... yeah.
0: <laughs> he was driving very fast as well. I've got to emphasize how fast he was driving. It was quite terrifying. But I was like, I'm in a car with Jackie Chan. If this is the way he goes, then th- that's ridiculous. Um, you know, he survived more and we did survive. But yeah, he was a good and and when he let his guard down, it took a little while for him to let his guard down in terms of the interview, but he was he was kind of interesting. He um was quite vulnerable and he I asked him if he ever gets scared before a stunt and he said every time, and that's you'd watch his films. You'd never get that. Like there's no sense of him being scared. He just throws himself into the stuff. But yeah, he's a human, I guess.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That, that it makes it all the more admirable in a way.
0: Mm. Yeah. Definitely.
2: Yeah. So what are you working on next, Nick?
0: Um, I'm working on sleeping. (laughs) I'm, um, I'm working on just having my day job. I haven't got another book, um, planned. Um, I've got a few, a few very loose ideas, but, um, I've just written some, uh, some extra content for the paperback, which is out, uh, in the summer. Mm -hmm. And I've written a bunch of stuff for that. Um, but no, uh, beyond that, it's just the day job. It's just empire. And, um, you know, interesting times to be doing a film magazine um but we kind of got through the strikes and yeah just trying to do as good job as we can this year
2: yeah hopefully into some blue water in 2024 and many as as, you know in cinema as elsewhere um thanks so much nick for for coming and talking to me i i love the book As, as you know i'm a huge fan of the first book um but but I, I should, I, I, it's weird. I think this book is actually funnier than the, than the book about <laughs> the, the comedians. That's not to say that the book about the comedians needs to be necessarily funny. You know, it has its own. It's fascinating in its own way. But uh, this was full of so many stories where I was, I was, um, I was crying with laughter at times.
0: <laughs> well, um, they're kind of accidentally funny. These guys. Um yeah. They're not trying to be, which kind of makes it. Yeah. But thank you, thank you very, very much.